Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's good to be here with you in your car or while you're folding laundry or heaven help you while you're running like a maniac or going nuts on that elliptical trainer. Welcome to the podcast. You may have seen the title of today's episode and thought, hmm, Indiana Music Standards. Wonder why she chose that as an episode. Unless, of course, you're in Indiana, and I know many of you are, so hello, Indiana. But for the rest of you, I get it. It doesn't initially strike you as something you might think you need to hear. But hang with me and see why I believe it's an important conversation. Earlier this year, I had the chance to sit down with three fantastic educators while we were all at the Indiana Music Educators Conference. If you've listened to the podcast in the past, you may already be familiar with two of them, famed teacher trainers and board members, Emily Marek and Andy Heimlich, both from Indiana, back in episode three of season one. But there's a new voice, at least to the podcast, and it was an honor to meet and sit down with him for the very first time. Brent Galt is professor of music education at Indiana University. He's taught elementary and early childhood music courses throughout the U.S. and specializes in elementary general music education, early childhood music education, and Kodai-inspired methodology. He also has training in both the Orff and Dalcroze approaches to music ed. Brent has presented sessions, research, and lectures at colleges and conferences in the U.S. and around the world and is a highly published author and the co-editor of the book, Teaching General Music, and author of Listen Up, Fostering Musicianship Through Active Listening. In addition to his duties with the music ed department at IU, Brent also serves as the program director for the Indiana University Children's Choir, and is also past president of the Organization of American Kodai Educators. I'd like to just add that in the few short hours I got to spend with him, Dr. Galt certainly confirmed his reputation as a thoughtful, intelligent, and very funny person. We recorded this back when we were all presenting sessions at the Indiana State Professional Development Conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana, as I mentioned. So I want to apologize in advance for the sound quality, which is a bit uneven because I kind of messed up the microphone situation, as I tend to do. You'll hear some ambient noise, too, because we were recording in a room off the main conference floor. And I will blame many of the Allstate teenagers who were whooping it up and running around. (laughs) Anyway, let me blend the keep it real portion of this episode here with the intro because they are related. Now, I confess that when I hear the word standards, I might sometimes get a facial tick. (laughs) I haven't had the best response to state and national standards. You'll hear me voice some of why that is during the interview, but it has a lot to do with how irrelevant they often seemed to me. But this conversation with Brent, Emily, and Andy changed my mind, which, if you know me, isn't easy to do. I wasn't sure how it was going to go or what my questions might be once it started, but it turned out to be really fascinating and, to be honest, encouraging for a person like me. So let's get right to it. Today, we have two of our teacher trainers returning to the podcast, uh, Emily Marek. Say hello, Emily. Well, hello. (laughs) And Andy Heimlich. Hello. And we are joined by Brent Galt, and I'm going to have him tell us a little bit about himself uh, and I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for being willing to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So, uh, yeah, it's it's always great to hang out in Fort Wayne, beautiful downtown Fort, Fort Wayne. Wayne. In and February lots of snow. or in January. Yeah, yeah man. that's great. Um, no, just a little about me. I my current position. I teach at Indiana University in the Jacobs School of Music. Oh, the, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a little school, <laughs> little um, music school. Yeah, have. and I live. I've been there. This is my 18th year there. Woo! You yeah. do not look old enough to be at a place. Well, for 18 thank years. you. Thank not you. Not even lying. I've had a lot of work done, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, Worth every penny. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it is, and and it's bulletproof, so that's good too. <laughs> Um, no, I grew up in Texas and um, went to did my undergraduate at Baylor University and went graduated kind of mid semester and at the time that I graduated, um, I the only positions that were open I had these grand designs that that I was going to be a high school and collegiate choral conductor uh, and yes. wanted a high school choral position there really wasn't one open but there was an elementary general music position open and um, and so I took that job and. 
it kind of ironically in the hometown that my father grew up in. So I oh, actually wow. taught in my father's hometown of Colleen, Texas. And while I was teaching elementary general music there, um, the teachers there were really kind of uh, very, uh, it was a very singing based curriculum because they had very strong secondary choral programs. And so things oh, right. like solfege and reading uh, music and, and singing well were very important, so it was a very Kodai-based approach. Um, while I was there, um, the first year I was there, I went to TMEA, which is the big Texas conference, yes. and uh, one of my colleagues said, there's a person here on the, on the uh, schedule that you should really go see. Um, if you're interested in kind of working in elementary and improving your teaching. And so I was still thinking I was going to do a high school choir, right. but I went ahead and, and went to this session, and it was Sister Lorna Zimke. And oh, she was really? the Yes, she was the featured elementary clinician oh, that year. Cool. And so I was going to go to one of her sessions and then go watch concerts the rest of the right. time. And I was so enamored of what she was doing and just so engaged by her and how joyful she was and how, I mean, she just made music so fun. And I just thought, this is the way I want to teach music. And so I watched, if you're a featured clinician at TMEA, you have to teach six right. different sessions. And so oh. I went to all six of her sessions. I just loved her. And I just thought, if I ever get my master's degree, this is where I want to go. So I taught about three more years. And then it all was still, yeah, in elementary. still in elementary, still in Colleen, Texas, and got to the point where I wanted to do a master's degree and um, applied to Silver Lake and it worked out. And I went there for the, I was there a full year, two full years and one summer. And so during the summer, I took Solfege two and the teacher of that was John Firerobin. And um, so I had John for Solfege um, at Silver Lake. Uh, that summer and it was it was a great class and uh, I remember just kind of offhandedly saying well at some point I'd like to do a PhD and he said well you should do one at heart because right. um, we're starting a PhD program and it'd be mm. great to have you so I you know I kept that in the back of my mind and I had one more year of my coursework and so I was teaching in Wisconsin while going to school and I applied at heart and it just worked out that I was I was able to get an assistantship, and so I was going to say, yeah. were you an assistant? Yeah, so I went there, and, and my I, I worked with while I was there. It was great to be there at that time because at that time the music ed faculty was um, John Fireobin, Clark Saunders, Chris Azera. Wow! And it, and so I had Chris for a class, I had Clark for a couple of classes, I had John for a couple of classes. I was a TA for John's. Um, in through two class and got to go out and watch the students teach at um, chair at, uh, at uh, an elementary school that where the elementary music teacher was Lily Fireobin uh, and right. so they taught in she's her okay. class yeah she's she's, <laughs> she's pretty good uh, and uh, so did that and worked with the Connecticut Children's Chorus and at that time John was piloting conversational solfege um, with the Suzuki program at heart. So right. what they would do is they would go to their group Suzuki class and do the group violin lessons and then they would go to a musicianship class and so I taught mm. the musicianship classes for um, I think I, the first year I did guitar I did the the youngest guitar class and then I did a Saturday morning what they call the pre-twinkle class which is the kids who wow. are haven't quite oh, yet pre-twinkle yeah, I get so, it so, yeah, I was thinking of dancing they're doing, but you're yeah they're doing things like up like a rocket right, and all right, that right. kind of stuff and so but I taught um I ta taught the <coughs> first level of conversational solfege to that group um, back when it was in the big white binders and things wow. like that. So that's kind of how I, I met John and then ended up going to Millersville University and teaching there for three years and then got to Indiana in 2001. And then about two or three years into that, um, John had been going to Silver Lake College for three weeks and teaching three weeks because right. he was teaching the solfege classes in addition to the first step stuff and all the other things that he did there and he kind of got to the point where it, it was difficult to be there three weeks sure. and so he ended up not doing the solfege anymore and he recommended me to do the solfege so I became the solfege teacher That's at the cool. Kodai program at Silver Lake and so I'm still doing that so now I John and I work together in that program every summer is that what do you 
uh, Emily, did you take from Brent when you went to Silver Lake? Or in my no, oh, I was okay. a non-traditional student oh, okay. at the Silver Lake. I was a workshop student. Oh, but yeah, so I've been I've been there. <clears throat> I don't even know how long I've been there. Fourteen years, maybe fifteen, which doesn't seem real, you know. Ah. So now, wait, do you have the nun hammers? The jingle. I don't. I have the nun microphone, but uh, I don't have the hammer. Wait, there's a nun microphone. The yarn yes, microphone. So I have a, I oh have my gosh! Oh wait, what? Andy knows. Andy I have the, the silver. I have the nun um, um, mouse puppets. <laughs> yes, I have those too. And I have the nun. There's a whole nun industry. And I have the nun yarn balls. What? Yes. They, You're yeah. holding out on me, you Finger puppets. There's an entire rack in the workroom with all these cubbies. I'm going there just puppet. to go to this store. Yes. yes. Well, it's actually, I, I hate to break it to you, <laughs> oh, but no. that, that store no longer exists. That was a, back at the time oh. when I was there um, and when Lorna was running the program, they had a, a, a business called Kodai Related Publications. And so they did. They had sisters who were retired who would make the puppets and do all these kind of manipulatives and one of the things that Lorna did a big workshop on was using manipulatives right. and how you could use them in a classroom but you know Lorna has Lorna still teaches a class yeah. but she's for the most part retired and sure. so when she retired and they kind of transitioned into the new building that that I think a lot of the people who were doing that were also retiring and so now they're they still have some of the remain remnants of those things, but they're kind of giving them uh, away. I'm going to drive yes. there from here today. Yeah, <laughs> I see what we can do to get my that. hands on those yes. nun hammers. Yes, <laughs> they're pretty amazing. Right. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for being willing to do this again. Oh, sure. It's fascinating to listen to that and to know that you're at. IU. I have a lot of friends who have gone to IU in the past for performance, not mm -hmm. so many for music education, uh, yeah. of, of which I'm aware, I should say that. Yeah. Um, but such an outstanding school. Well, yeah, and just a wonderful place. I mean, it's very humbling to be there, even in music ed, because you think of you know, legendary people like Mary Getze and Gene Seinor. Yeah. There are just you know, so many people like that. And not only in performance, but in music education, right. you've been and there, you've so. gotten to work with some heavy hitters, yeah. which is pretty amazing. Sister Lorna alone. Yes, uh, yes. She's she, there's no one like her. No, anywhere. I I have a goal to get there to do a podcast with her because I met her this summer and we just laughed and laughed and she was like, I like you. <laughs> I'm like, You're gonna regret saying that because <laughs> well, this summer and we'll go to the reincarnated store that Brent's talking mm -hmm. about. They yeah. have a few things. It's Bring it small, back. but we can, yeah. we can get them. There must be some nuns. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if, if you call, they'll they'll open up the store for you. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. Well, anyway, so the reason why we have you guys here today, just besides it's interesting to speak to you all, uh, is to talk about the Indiana State Standards. Now, I said to you before we started taping that I am a non-expert in national and state standards, uh, to my detriment, I'm sure. But it's they can just be, this is just my perspective. Uh, I think they can be kind of overwhelming or overly broad. Um, and I think it seems like when I read them or when you talk to others in other states, so I'm not talking about Indiana, but I've spoken to people and they're like, they're either so broad, and sometimes I say that's a good thing, be thankful for that because it allows you a lot of latitude in your classroom. Um, my question to you guys is, I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit about how and why you got involved uh, in the process. How many people were on the committee? That's a good question. About? Uh, we were eight, one of the about biggest. Eight, 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 eight to eight ten. ten. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about um, how you get involved because I can imagine there are people who would love the opportunity to have a hand in crafting something like this, especially for people who are held to those standards. Um, pretty specifically by their administration. It would be a great thing to be able to be on the ground floor building this. So anything you want to talk about how you personally got involved and why you thought it was important? So the spring of 2016, we received a, a general email to not just music, but visual, fine arts, dance, theater. Those standards were all up for review. So there was a, a kind of mass email sent to teachers, music teachers, and all the other disciplines, of course. And uh, the email was looking for um, teachers to serve on the standards revision committee. There was an application process. So I 
thought, yes, I want to be involved because there, there are things I'd like to see that I feel are missing from the standards and things that can be clarified for understanding. And I would just be fascinated by this whole process. So if you want to jump in. So there was a, a application, a resume, and some other things. And I sent it all off. And uh, meanwhile, I was talking to others, hey, they're revising the standards. You know, what's the, what's the word on that? And that's when Andy and I were talking about mm -hmm. it. And then Right, so I emailed the person in charge at the time and just said I was interested and found out uh, the first email that was put out when the meeting was going to be. It's like, okay, I guess I'm on the committee, <laughs> which I was very excited about. But uh, to be able to be a part of something that you knew, it's one thing to be able to make an impact on your own students' lives. Right. Which, you know, that's why we do what we do. We do it for the students, the passion for what our, our interest is. But to know that you can maybe make an impact for the better, for other students across your whole state of Indi your whole state, whatever that state is, is exhilarating. Yeah. To know that you're going to make a positive, major impact on students' lives. Well, that gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that and some tea or some coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a good that's some coffee too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's exciting. And to get to work with great people, like Hopefully. Emily and Brent. Yes. <laughs> right. right. And you hope they're on. Yeah. The I'm going to guess right. it's not always that yeah. way. I have right. to say though, this committee was a was very easy to work with. Yeah. I felt very Well, I don't very think a lot like, of human beings have uttered the sentence you yeah, just uttered. Right. So yeah. that's pretty it remarkable. Was, yeah. Well, you know, and my mine was a, my journey was a little bit different just because Indiana is we're very fortunate that we have a very active chapter of the Society for Music Teacher Education that meets in conjunction with IMEA. We usually have a, a, a meeting on the Thursday before the conference starts uh, where we discuss things like upcoming policy issues in teacher certification or different things That's great. and so we knew that the the standards were coming up for adoption um, Carolyn Chaton, who's at DePaul University, is the chair of that, that organization. She always does a, just a wonderful job of organizing things. And, and so in the course of the meeting, it came out that, you know, they were going to be looking at the standards and revising the standards. And we, this, the Music Teacher Education Society wanted to have some, at least a couple of members on the committee. And, and so I... You know, I have an interest in the kind of. It's a similar thing that Andy and Emily said. I am a, my main work now is teacher preparation, right. and so one of the things we work constantly with when we're teaching a methods course is developing curriculum. And where do you start? Well, I always start with the questions. You have your students from pre-K through sixth grade. They leave you in sixth grade. What do you want them to know? Right. What do you want them to be able to do? How do you want them to feel about music? A little backwards design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I really wanted, I thought, well, to have the ability to kind of have some influence on what the state, you know, sees as important as far as outcomes is wonderful. And, and going back to Emily's comment, the idea that, you know, if I have any issues about the way the standards are in their current form and I have the opportunity to have to affect change I should take that opportunity Absolutely. so yeah. that's kind of how I got into it yeah I mean this is a it sounds like a pretty extraordinary group of people and it was diverse we had choral we had instrumental and we had orchestral I believe we had general music we were the largest committee of all the fine arts revisions and uh, that allowed us to break up into subgroups, which was great because we could really target specific things within those subgroups. All right, yeah. so now that you talked about how you became involved, what was the process? What's the committee's process? How does that work from kind of meeting one? Because I'm going to guess there's a meeting involved. Right, so when we first met, the person that was in charge from the DOE kind of told us that they wanted us to look at what we currently had Okay. which for us was the 2010 Indiana standards, which were based on the old nine national standards that we had from... Right. 1994. Right, yeah, hey. from uh, from MENC. Hey! <laughs> and you know, no one is allowed to say that they were not born at that time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then also we knew that there were new national core standards that had come out, had come out and, and not hook, line, and sinker, but... A, very much were very similar to what NAFME had adopted. So, but we were really, they were encouraged to look at the National Corps instead of looking at NAFME. So we looked at those two things to see what do we see in that that would be beneficial for what we wanted for Indiana students now. Right. There was a lot of 
encouragement to move towards a look of looking at the four artistic processes rather than going back to the old nine. Right. Since NAFME and both the National Corps had kind of moved away from that. So that was the first place where we started saying, okay, here's what's kind of been happening nationally right. and what was happening in other states. And we did look at other states' standards also, like Ohio, and right. I think we looked at Colorado, and just the ones that were more recent, and just kind of looked at what they had done. Um, but then thought, okay, then how do we then hone in on what we thought was important and also what came out of this SMTE meeting mm-hmm. that happened back in 2016? Okay. Yeah. And at that meeting, they actually had come up with... Um, a sample list of uh, anchor, the way the National Corps standards were set up is they have 11 anchor standards and those are kind of the overarching standards and they are organized according to the artistic process that they meet. So for example, the first three or four relate to creating music and then the next ones relate to performing and then responding and connecting. And so we kind of wanted to see if we could create anchor standards and so we, we, you know, the SMTE had kind of put together a suggested list of anchor standards based on kind of a, a combination of the old 2010 standards and also some new things that we wanted to see. Two, two of the big areas that that were not represented in any standards that, you know, there was pretty much strong consensus that we wanted to see. One was movement. A movement has always been kind of embedded within the listening, right. describing, responding, analyzing music, and they really there was a real strong feeling that movement should be its own thing. That sure. you you know because that is a specific way that you respond to music right. and so that was that was one of the big ish, things that was suggested and the other one was audiation which um, was it, it was an interesting <laughs> given the fact that that was kind of in place and suggested at the SMTE meeting you know and and of course everyone in this room would say of course of right course. right yeah, yeah but, but it was not it not was not universally it was, accepted well sure. it was it, no it was interesting that it was suggested not necessarily from the people oh, like i, I would i would saying. i would i could see emily or andy or i saying this should be in there right. but it was actually suggested right. in the original 11 that we got it from was an SMTE. outside group that necessarily ah. did not have true gordon or far out sure, connections sure. and yet they still thought that inner hearing was important well, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, right. but then for us who are actually more than on the committee that have these fire oven backgrounds, we were like, yes, yes, yes. Right, and, right. And there was another professor there, uh, Kevin, Kevin Garrity from Ball State, and he's good friends with Don Esther, uh, who's also a professor at Ball State. And both of them, in fact, Don teaches about another process that's very similar to John's about um, ear training and using rhythm syllables and solfege. But it's, again, the inner hearing is a big proponent of what his teaching is. So I think that influx also then came into it, which we were very, very excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I, I mean, you can both correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I believe that what happened was we suggested those 11 anchor standards uh, at the first meeting. And everyone said, great. And and, and you have to remember that we also had choral, right, orchestral, high school and middle right, school right. orchestral and choral people there, and I mean, my concern was how they were going to react to these because sure. these were going to be not just for general music but yep. also for they go ensembles. All the way up. Yep. And they said, "Let's do it." Well, it's just it's difficult to actually comprehend if you sit down and talk with another musician about what audiation means. Right. You know, I can't see someone really saying like, "Man, no, I'm not interested." You know, if, if and, we're and, being honest, they're gonna they just maybe hear right. a label and maybe that. And we knew turns it might be a hard it. sell for some folks, and we knew that we were going to have to be very clear of what that more meant, and giving help with how do you actually implement that in the classroom. Right. How we develop? How do you develop? I mean, it? we do it all the time. I mean, as musicians, right, we're right, always right. thinking music, but right. then yeah. how do you actually use this as an indicator in a standard? And that yeah, was, and right. I think that one thing that listeners can take away from this, you know, whether you're in Indiana or not, is it's tremendously encouraging to think of the fact that it happened here. You you did something where, to be honest, if I would have thought about it, I would think like, oh, nobody's going to go for that. You know, why even try? Yeah. But like Brent said, you know, if you have the chance to do it, 
uh, take that chance and I hope other people will hear and think maybe I can do it and even refer to these state right. standards. Right, and maybe, maybe down the future that would have, could affect even national standards. Right. Well, what do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Backwards. <laughs> <laughs> During some of those meetings, our DOE um, supervisor, she kept saying going rogue. But it didn't feel like going rogue. We were just doing what we needed to do. Going intuitively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. DOE's Department of Education. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. and I should say that in addition to looking at the core art standards and um, and the um, the 2010 Indiana standards, we also looked at other states. And there are there are many states. Minnesota is the that Minnesota is certainly not the only one, but Minnesota has always kind of been very progressive about the way they do their standards and I, I think that they always have a really strong model. I do think you, we looked at why, Ohio. Why yeah. would that be? Minnesota. Is there somebody there who's... I, well, they do have a strong... They have a, an organization called the Purpage Center that offers, you know, and they have had... And that is kind of a fine arts organization for the state that offers in hmm. service. And they have... I It, it, it just is... A, very progressive with regard to the way they've done that and um but we also did we look at ohio i we thought did. we looked at ohio in fact, and we looked at iowa maybe right yeah maryland yeah. was another maryland yeah yeah, yeah. so we looked at two or three in ohio the big thing that stood out for them was that they did grade bands what does grade so bands instead mean? of where traditionally we would have a standard standards for each grade level Oh, great bands. I, great. I'm thinking like a band. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not confusing. I know. So, so we bands. decided to, and the, what was also new for Indiana is that this was the first time we've ever had standards for pre-K, mm -hmm. um, being that, that that also comes from the National Corps. Yeah. We wanted to include that. So we have a pre-K band, and then we have K-2, which means that you want to try to uh, accomplish those indicators by the end of, by second, the end of second grade. So a band is just like a, a, a group of grade levels or age right. levels. Right, correct. So right. instead of the end of kindergarten, end of first grade, end right. of second grade, you want to try to meet these standards. Yeah, I've always liked of, that one. That's and that gives changed. more flexibility to a teacher, especially mm -hmm. if you're in multiple buildings and how many times you see your students. Um, Split-level classes. Split-level sure. classes, multi-age classes. That's very common in some places. Mm -hmm. So we did pre-K, then K-2, three, five, Six, eight, and what's also interesting of the what we, I, I've forgotten this that Kevin said in our session today that we also have nine twelve for general music, right? Which he made it sound like that world. That's pretty unusual. Unusual, think, yeah. 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 What would it usually be? Six, eight. Yeah, it yeah. stop there. But we were oh, I see for general music. General, general music, music. Yes. right? Wow, that is unusual. Yeah, and another interesting thing about the Indiana standards is the anchor standards that we have. We have eleven of those, and they are. They are the same regardless of the instructional setting, but we have a set of separate indicators or outcomes for general music, and then we have ones for ensemble. Yeah. And so in the ensemble, rather than doing the grade bands, rather than saying, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, what we do is we say, here are the indicators, for example, the first, uh, the, for the first uh, standard for a beginning ensemble, so an ensemble of, mm. of students for whom this is the uh, beginning level. Here's uh, the here are the indicators for an intermediate level ensemble. Here's here are the indicators for a proficient or or uh, you know what we would consider a regular ensemble at the high school level. And then here are the ones for a really advanced high school ensemble because you know there's really no it's very rare that you have a secondary school program that doesn't have ensembles with mixed grades it's it, right. you know right. so it they really the decision was made to make those bands based on the level of the ensemble rather than the grade level which i think is really good yeah i mean i think what just keeps running through my mind is everything you're saying is just based on having excellent practitioners sitting at the table talking about excellent uh, practice. And so, you know, it's just, it makes sense. So I'm glad that Indiana did this and the other states, uh, and hopefully more states will have, you know, because I think one of the biggest cries in all of education is who wrote these things? You know, who made this park test? Who wrote this standard? It seems like somebody who's never been in a classroom. But when you get a group of really good educators sitting around a table, you know, really good practice is kind of agreed upon pretty easily. So it's it's a, I hope that lots of people will look at these standards. I have to say, um, 
Emily sent them to me, and I am notorious for ripping through standards that I see and just like, I'll, like, no. <laughs> and I started looking and I saw the pre K one and I thought, all right, dive in. Like, it's going to be okay. It's, you know, Emily was there and Andy was. So I looked and I'm just, you know, where we're like, yes, like, audio, inner hearing. It, it was so nice to look through. Because what happens to me every time is I look and say, you shouldn't be asking a, a kindergartner to do this. You shouldn't. That's yeah. my normal yeah. response to what I'm seeing. Uh, it was wonderful to look and think, now that's something that age level, that's developmentally appropriate. Right. And then also one of the things we incorporated was depth of knowledge mm -hmm. or Bloom's taxonomy and depth of knowledge. And so when you look across our indicators, you will see rigor. And the terminology of where it might just be discover and then eventually it's analyze and then synthesize. So you're going to see rigor in those areas from pre-K all the way to 12th grade. Right. At an appropriate level. Yes, at appropriate level. I mean, I think that's what, that's what can be frustrating. And it's not that the standards are where you stop. If your students are able to go beyond that, sure. you take them farther. But at least is what we would hope that students would be right. experiencing. Mm -hmm. Do we want to talk about, you said something about a preamble. Oh, we, we have some support documents that are, uh, if, Brett, you might want to say. Sure, sure. Well, we really did want to put, we didn't um, want to just put the standards out there without any kind of context. And so it was important for us to provide some context. And um, what we did is we created, I mean, we called it a preamble. I'm right, not that's sure just we, your we nickname. Were, we were feeling constitutional <laughs> that day or, or something. But, but we w did want to provide a document that people would read read before they looked at the standards that talked about how they were organized how was the how were they developed who developed them right. but also we you know the opening paragraph just talks about the idea of you know how important music education is for many reasons you know that how transformative uh, a high quality music education is in the lives of individuals not necessarily just because they have the opportunity to develop these wonderful artistic processes for for conveying musical meaning and they have the ability to have an active experience with music but also because they are developing skills and dispositions that are going to be critical for their success in other areas such sure. as the ability to be creative the right. ability to collaborate with other people the ability to think critically the ability to communicate um, and you know any many probably many of the people who are listening know that those are the kind of the four C's of the partnership for 21st century skills right. which if you look at that website they talk about those are the skills or the dispositions people need um, you know, it's the idea of moving away from trade-based education. Right. I'm going to teach you a trade, and here is the recipe for being successful at that trade, as opposed to I'm going to teach you competencies that are going to make you flexible and adaptable right. and intelligent. It's a different right. Different situation. Because, you know, our the way that we engage in music, the way that we engage in the world changes at such a quick pace that yeah. the ability to, you know, be creative and, and collaborative adaptive. and adaptive. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. And so we talk a little bit about that and how music helps develop those kinds of skills. We talk a little bit about the, the relationship between the standards and Bloom's taxonomy and, and the depth of knowledge. Um, and how that we are trying to focus on developing deeper understandings, not just surface level understandings. Um, and part of that is just to justify to someone who may be reading that, who is not a music teacher, um, who may be a parent or an administrator or a classroom teacher, why it's so important to have a music specialist. Sure. To have someone who yeah. is who is trained and musical and knows knows about music and can engage the children musically and can convey their musicality to children. Sure. I, I, and, and, you know, we weren't allowed to say that outright, but, but we <laughs> tried to, yeah, right. to the extent that we could make. And, and I like the, again, I like the standards. I like the fact that we are using words like audiate because the language, understanding the language is not necessarily doesn't necessarily mean that you are 
you have the competencies you need, but it's one indicator that you are on the track to be that kind of music specialist. So, right, right. Yeah. And I think, do other states have a, a kind of preamble-ish thing? You know, I don't know that. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I, To be honest, I don't know. When I looked at the Ohio ones, we kind of just looked at how they their right, standards right, were organized. Right. No, I mean, I just think it's a fantastic idea. I think the National Core Art Standards, obviously, if you get the so. whole document, there's certainly a lot of context. Which, of course, I've read many times. Yeah. We knew the for those in the state of Indiana who have been traditional with the nine standards that we've had for so long that there was a lot of change. It wasn't changing just yeah. the indicators. We were changing. It was an overhaul. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> For a goal yes. from nine to four artistic processes, which we haven't really talked about, but we flipped those on their head. We, we went in a different order than the national core standards. What'd so you we, do that for? What'd well, you do that for? <laughs> uh, we, we did that, we did that because, <laughs> because we felt that the order that they were in was kind of backwards of how we actually approach music as a human. Right. So the first experiences you have with music is you connect with it. Sure when you first hear it. And then you would listen and respond from how you connect with it. Right. And then you would actually then perform it. And then after you learn how to perform music, then you would actually create your own. Right, exactly so, analogous to language acquisition. Exactly, mm -hmm. so we felt, so we that was how we were kind of saying that we were going rogue. Right, oh, you crazy um, nuts. So, <laughs> but, but we knew that that was a big change, going from, because we didn't really have, I think maybe the 2010 they maybe took those nine and kind of disseminated them in something different but you know that was a change and then having 11 and then we knew having the movement and audiation would be changed and having pre-k there was just a lot of things that happened in that change for a lot of people and so by having this quote preamble at the beginning we hoped that would calm some nerves kind of explain why we did the things right. that we did and it wasn't just because we wanted to change right. we really wanted to do something that we thought was going to be effective Rationale well, and justification. Right. Indiana mm -hmm. teachers are very lucky to have you guys doing that because I think that's super important because it feels a lot of times, as I've referenced now a couple of times, that these these types of documents don't feel thoughtful. Mm -hmm. uh, they feel, I, I'll just reference one time in our district, we had to redo some kind of benchmarks or something, and the people who did it, they, they admitted it was just a couple of teachers who had the time off in the summer and they said we didn't really know what we were doing and we kind of just you know they put us this pressure on us to get them done within four days oh, um, and we got these things and I was not happy <laughs> because yeah. they just were counterintuitive uh, not realistic and I, I understand why my colleagues you know they're put under the gun to get right. these things done because it was like take a box, we need to redo this, redo this. Uh, so it's so great to hear this, as I've referenced also, a great group of educators really being yeah. thoughtful in the process. Yeah, and the other thing that the preamble allowed us to do, well, two other things. One, the Department of Education, when we met with them the last time, they had this wonderful document that said, this is what standards are and here's what they aren't. They aren't curriculum. They I aren't, know, I would like know. to read that. Yeah, and it was, and they put, and uh, I, I mean, we wanted, they were gonna probably put it in the document anyway, but as soon as we saw that, we were like, can you please put this in right. the document? Because it provides an overview of what is the purpose of a standard and why do we use them yeah. and what are they not supposed to be? Right. Um, so that was helpful. But then it also allowed us to explain, because I think sometimes people are so busy that you know, we wanted to let them know about all of the resources that were developed. For, for example, we created a glossary because you know uh, there are terms that we use in music that we use that means that have many different interpretations. Right. And so we created a glossary so that they know when we say this, this is how we're defining it so right. that they know how you know yeah, there's like this a kind of a right. foundational right. agreement and then right. in, also for for all of the indicators that we created um we wanted to have examples like for example what would be an example in pre-k of how you might satisfy an indicator related to singing well here's one example and so we have these examples for every one of the indicators um not that we want them to be prescriptive or that these are right. things that have to be done. But if I'm a new teacher and I'm not really sure right. how to 
satisfy this indicator related to audiation. Oh, look, here are two examples of how that might happen right. or what that might look yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, I know new teachers in our district who didn't understand, and I barely understand it, but would say the same thing. Like, I don't understand what an anchor thing is. What's the process versus the, what are we supposed to do? It always comes down to that, to a mm -hmm. teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to go in next week. What am I supposed to do? Right. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. So two things with that, the glossary, um, if there was a word that we had in our glossary that NAFME also had in their glossary, we pretty much co uh, copied it verbatim mm. if we thought it was the correct definition, which most of them were. So that way we thought there was some continuity there with the national standards. Right. Um, and then with the, the examples, um, we knew that there would be a lot of new teachers, first year teachers, who would see this document wow. and say, what in the world? <laughs> um, just like you said, how right. do I apply it? And we knew for those teachers who had been teachers for a number of years, the audiation and the movement, again, might be something, especially for those in ensembles. You know, how do you, how do you, in a marching band, show choir, sure, okay, sure. right. But my orchestra, right. you know, how do I apply that? And so having those examples in there were hopefully going to kind of, you know, take some of that stress away. And we just found out, at least I did, in our session that we just had with Kevin Garrity, that He's hoping that IMEA will create, and hopefully the DOE will be okay with this, that that example document will be a breathing and living document where teachers ah, you can add to could it add or to exactly. it what they have done. Gosh, it's so practical. I don't right. have to do it myself. And so I, you know, hopefully <laughs> that will happen. And, and if the DOE doesn't approve that, maybe even IMEA can still have some kind of right. website that we can. Rogue, yeah. rogue actual practical document to help teachers. Right. So. Okay. So Emily, can you speak to what appeal this kind of document or this document has for um, elementary teachers or early childhood teachers? What is, what is different in this document than maybe in a lot of other states for elementary teachers? Uh, the two things that come to mind right away, methodology friendly. So no matter what methodology that you use to teach uh, music, it could be uh, Kodai, Delcros, or MLT or music learning theory, whatever. Fire Robin, of course. Sure. Yes. That's my um, option. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's methodology friendly. So you can arrive at the same goal at the end of a grade band, K to two, for instance, or pre K or whatever it is, but then whatever steps you take to get that instruction delivered, you, what you're using locally in your curriculum and your classroom, it, it has fluidity and flexibility. And that's the best part, I think, to me, is. Methodology friendly. Mm. I just, yeah, that's great. That term right there, I'm going to stick with it. So methodology friendly. I like that. Okay. And have these been, where are you in this process? Is it over? Is it's it over. Yeah. They, um, the, uh, interesting, the, we finished the first draft of these in December of 2017. Correct. Yeah. Some, in the fall of 2017. Uh, finished it, and of course, there's a public comment period. So the 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 whenever new standards are are created in the state of Indiana, or actually any kind of new policy educationally, there's typically a public comment period where people have 30 days to look at what's been proposed and write comments. And so we reviewed those comments. We made edits based on those comments. There was a little bit of a shift um, of personnel that caused a little bit of a delay. Um, and so we finished up the process of revising the standards in the spring of 2018. Um, and then they, I believe they were submitted and approved by the State Board of Ed in this May, at, at some point in May. And then they are on the website. They are, I believe that they're considered kind of voluntary this year or they're kind of just yeah it's kind of like a pilot right year and then i think next year it's they're officially kind of in place but they are on the website they've been approved they've been they've sent a note to all the they have a listserv i guess in the department of education right. to all superintendents where when standards are approved they just send out a note that says this has happened and here they are and and so i think that that note has gone out all so right. yeah i just realized it was something we didn't talk about in our session which was? To, well, it's a, good that you were having the podcast. Assessment. Yes. Oh, oh that's right. No, you that's a didn't. That's, 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 that's a whole other podcast. We'll talk about it next year. Yeah. But, that's right. We could. I'll come back but, next year and we'll was, do a I podcast was, about it. I was just thinking that in my school district, we've actually already looked at the new standards 
um, and talk. I mean, I since I was on the committee, I kind of talked to our our team, our our schools, and then we wrote new standard based report standards for our district based on the state standards. But what we were going to talk about was there's 11 anchor standards, and of course you're going to be looking at those as a teacher, you know, formative, summative assessment for yourself. But obviously you're not going to report to parents on right. all that. I mean, that's just logistically not, I mean, impossible. Sure. I mean, good, I mean, yeah, <laughs> Lord. So we decided as a district which ones we thought were the most important ones to, to let parents know. And we, it wasn't just one teacher made that decision or someone that was administration. The elementary music teachers in my district, we shared and talked about, and there was a pretty good consensus of what we thought were the most important ones. And then we created our own verbiage that we thought would be parent friendly. Because some of the, you know, the wording in the standards is sure. teacher friendly. Sure, sure. And it can be a little bit verby, you know, word heavy. But so that would be a word friendly to the parents, but it definitely showed rigor. So that my kindergarten can do this regarding their singing or playing or whatever it was, uh, first grade, second grade. Um, so anyway, that was one thing we were going to address is that um, you can you have leniency of how you're going to use assessments based on the standards in your own school district. Would you be willing to share that document? What my with our say? listeners? Sure. That just sounds yeah. so cheesy. To I say would that. be happy to share. I mean, it's it would I, it will be on our school website, but I would happy to share that document. Okay, because yeah. I definitely uh, we're going to provide uh, links to whatever we can uh, for people to look at these because right. it's, I think it's important um, that we have documents like this, and it's so cool that it's kind of. Official. Yeah, and I will say from from the teacher education perspective, this fall I taught my um, elementary general music methods class at IU, and and we always do a big exercise at the after at the last couple of weeks of the semester where we look at you know curricular materials and we look at standards and we try to come up with you know what would our outcomes be specifically K, one, two, three, four. And right. so we were using these standards as kind of one of our models, these and of course the core arts standards. And right. so I'm trying to use them just because I want my students to know what they are and know that whatever state they go to, there are probably going to be standards that they need to be right. aware of. Right. So it's, you know, from that perspective, I've already started to use them in that way. And, and it's it's been helpful. So. And I think, I mean, I didn't, we didn't really get schooled on these when I was doing undergraduate. I barely remember talking about it. So it's encouraging to hear that it's happening. Yeah, were there standards when um, were in college? Yeah, I, I don't think there, there was electricity when I was in college. So. <laughs> there were not standards when I was in college, yes. I mean, I'm trying to think. So I graduated in 95. Yes. So we always looked at the scope and sequence. sequence yes, there's so a lot of scope and sequence talk. Right, right. Yeah, that was in the tech series. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we looked at. 91. Hey, woo, yeah. woo. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just talking to teachers at the conference, their districts are gearing up to start looking at their local curriculums. They're interested in tying things to the standards, and that's been the conversation. And at the beginning of the year, um, IMEA General Music Workshops, Andy's presented a little thing on the standard there, and I, I did one up in Northern Region, and we've just been kind of getting the word out right, there. Right, which is right. fantastic. Yes, and this is one of those ways to do that too, this podcast yeah. right here, and the supporting documents, and it's on district's minds. Yeah. So yeah. that's, well, that's great. Thing. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you for your work, for doing that. Um, you people in Indiana should write them a letter, maybe send a gift, I mean a nice gift, thanking these people who have worked, because it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed, and I'm happy to share uh, this kind of information with other people because I wanted to encourage them and um, we, it's nice to take some pride in what we do and like kind of at that level show it to other people and thank you for such a thoughtful process thank you and thank you and thank all the you. people who are not here and thank you I didn't yes. do anything yes. thank you. I, I like anything in music education that I didn't have to do so that's good <laughs> yeah. good to know but thank you uh, again for coming and sitting down and talking to everyone uh, sure. hopefully we can do it again uh, sounds good I yeah. feel like I'm gonna see you again and whether you like it or not Brent I'll probably see you again. oh I'm sure our paths will cross. listen we might even sit through a whole meal 
That's and right. And not, talk to each other. Yeah, and, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> we ate dinner together uh, with a big group of people, and we I did not get to speak to you at we, all. We were on opposite ends of the we table. We were. I mean, just, it was kind of sad, but here we are yes. at opposite ends of the table. But <laughs> now we have yes. microphones, and we're True. looking right at each other. That's but right. thank you so much um, for being here, and I look forward to talking to you again. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, just kidding about the gift for these educators, though they sure deserve them for all the work they did. Pretty interesting stuff. I learned so much and it gave me, dare I say it, hope that these standards might be something worth looking at. I'm now going to look up the standards from some of the states that were mentioned in our conversation, and I will put a link to Indiana standards on our Facebook and Twitter pages and on the show page on the FAME website. For today's Ask Me Anything, Allison asked, tell us about your doctoral journey. And she also asks a question about uh, continuing to teach in the classroom versus pursuing a professorship, which I'm actually going to kind of do in a second part because I always have too much to say. (laughs) So after I finished my master's degree, which, by the way, was three weeks after I had my second child... I had no intention of starting doctoral work right away, and honestly, I didn't know if I ever would. But shortly after, my very first music education mentor, the brilliant Dr. Lily Levinowitz, said that she and Music Together would support me in the endeavor, and she really encouraged me to move forward, and I couldn't say no. We all knew it would be a long process, especially because I intended to continue working full-time, and I hoped that we would have more kids which we did. We went on to have two more. But Music Together and Dr. Levinowitz were very supportive. So I began my work at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, knowing for sure that I wanted to study music education. In the beginning, I became extremely interested in neuroscience and its impact in the music classroom, something that still is a major interest today. And as I worked on my music ed component, I also had the privilege of studying early childhood development with Dr. Lorraine McCune at the Rutgers Grad School of Education. And that ended up being my cognate or my minor area and something in which, of course, I'm still very interested. And as I said before, I think I'll leave part two of Allison's question for next time because I've babbled on long enough for now. By the way, speaking of questions, if you have a question you'd like to ask, about anything, really, I'd love to try my best to answer it. So please send it to tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. Our podcast is generously supported by the Fire Abend Association for Music Education. And you know what I'm going to say. Say it with me. Are you a member yet? If not, why? It's relatively inexpensive, and we are putting more and more great content onto the website for members only. So please visit firerobinmusic.org for more information. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Firerobin and his programs and resources, visit giamusic.com slash and of course our Firerobin Fundamentals page on Facebook. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and review the podcast wherever you listen. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope it was encouraging. I hope it provoked you to think about your practice, and I hope it was helpful. Please tune in for our next episode, and until then, keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world. ¶¶